Go back to something that was really pleasurable in your relationship and recreate it. Go on a vacation. Do that game you used to play. Um, pull back those memories of, you know, of the charm and the pleasantness and the sexiness. The courtship. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Good late morning to you. Good late morning to you. <laughs> um, it is day 1000 of quarantine. Yes, it's day 1000 of quarantine. And we're both coming to you live from upstate Hudson Valley. It's the, it's the Hudson Valley edition of the HTW oh. podcast. <laughs> And here's what I have to say. We decided to rerun this very special episode because I think everybody could probably get a little bit of insight from it. It's Dr. Sonia Rhodes and it's Marriage 101. So you do yeah. You do the math, huh? Have you been spending a lot of time with your family and your spouse, which is not God's plan? Definitely not our natural habitat. No, it's not. I think we're all ready to start dating again, to be honest. I mean, I have to say the mailman is looking, has been looking pretty foxy lately. You're like, <laughs> I mean, it feels very handmade still when you're just like trapped in the house forever and suddenly like, this is like <laughs> pretty much everyone, everyone's like taking a second look at everybody. Um, I, mean, I, I I caught myself noticing the mailman's calf muscles the other day. I was like, okay, we've definitely been <laughs> in a box. Yeah. I um, mean, it's a little, we're, we're, yeah, we're entering into like weird uncharted territory. But Dr. Rhodes is a wonderful resource. She's like, I mean, she's the kind of lady I want to be when I get to be that age. She's just like nasty and smart and definitely still having a lot of sex, which I think is very healthy and wonderful. Um, how old did she say she was? We asked her on the show. Now I don't she remember. She didn't share her age, but they've been married for... Oh, she didn't. Okay. Like a really, really, really long time. 40 plus years. Yeah. She's at least in her 70s, obviously. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But she's she's young at heart and she's also quite active, I must say. And she's still, you know, she's still got it. But yeah. anyway. All right. Well, we could all take a page from her playbook and um, she's making some things work. Actually... Can only imagine how she's faring in this um, climate, but I, like the one thing that seniors probably have going for them now is just like loss of hearing. <laughs> so when you're, you know, when you can't hear half of the things your spouse is saying, it's probably working to your advantage in this in this situation. Yes, I think I, there is a quote about how one like one of the secrets to a healthier marriage to a healthy marriage is sometimes being a little bit deaf. Is it, isn't that yeah? Like RBG said that right. Oh, really? I don't know, but it's I'm totally accurate sure. and true. <laughs> I feel like probably a lot of people have said that in one form or another because uh, it's true. All right, guys, we'll have a listen. Enjoy. Good luck out there. Keep keep the pots bubbling, huh? <laughs> 
I am super excited for today's guest, Dr. Sonia Rhodes, uh, a relationship therapy expert, and also someone I have known literally most of my entire life because I grew up, I'm just speaking full disclosure, I grew up with your daughter, Jennifer, who I adore, and it's like seeing family. It's like family. It is. It's just like family. I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) Um, And we are super excited just because, you know, no one likes talking about relationships ever. Really? Oh, I think everybody loves Everyone talking. likes Everyone talking about relationships talking. all the time. Right. I told people we were doing this interview and they're like, oh, can you just ask her? I know, I know. They're like, oh yeah, I'm probably going to listen to that one. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm probably going to listen to that one. It's so. true. It's true. I mean, we are, we have a lot in common in this world, um, but maybe the number one thing is that we're all in some kind of relationship in one way or another. We care about a rela- and we care about a relationship. Yes. That's, yeah. that's yes. really I think important because they keep us attached. They keep us vital. Mm-hmm. They're very important for mental health. Relationships. How long have you been married? Oh my gosh. You don't really want me to that. <laughs> I do. hundred years. A hundred? hundred years. Good. Somewhere between 40 and a hundred. <laughs> Somewhere between 50 and 100. Oh, boy. Okay. That's well, congratulations. Incredible. Congratulations, and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that should basically be the subtitle of this episode. Um, so we want to talk about, we want your views. We want to talk about marriage. We want to talk about how it works in our world today as opposed to how it once did and does it work? And I don't even know, where where do we start with this? Well, I think, well, I, I mean, can I, so yeah, Erica okay. and I, I'm just going to say we are both both married. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm on my second marriage. Mm-hmm. Erica's being... on her second marriage. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm on my first. Uh, I have kids. Erica does not have kids, which also changes the marriage dynamic. Exactly. And we have uh, lots of conversations with lots of men and women about marriage. And we're also of an age, I think, right now, just to give a little bit of context. Like, I think people are either trying to get over this hump of having been in a relationship for a really long time and navigating that phase. And also, you know, the other half are just like calling it quits and getting a divorce. It's kind of like an interesting... It's it's an interesting moment of like, there's a lot going on right now, Mm -hmm. I think, in relationships. It's not just... But I do think it's important. I think that relationships now are kind of their slow love. Have you heard about that? Have you heard that phrase? Slow mm-hmm. love. Like that is people who are staying in relationships longer mm-hmm. before they make major commitments. So that basically, as we know, people are getting married much later. Right. Yeah. And those relationships are more stable. The longer you stay, you know, the longer you've had pre-marriage, the more likely your marriage is to be stable throughout the course of your right. right? And that's kind of generally a statistic, right? right. And- but I think that's, I think that people are, get marrying much later and also staying in relationships longer. So the divorce rate for young people has gone down. Mm -hmm. The biggest jump in the divorce rate, interestingly enough, is the 50 and older. Right. Which is a transition after the children leave home and the relationship has gotten stale. And basically they don't find that they don't, they haven't been keeping up their relationship sort of. Yeah investing in it mm-hmm. so that when the kids leave home and they look at each other, they say, you know, kind of, do we really have it in common anymore? What do we have in common? Do we want to stay together? And a lot of those marriages don't, don't make it. That's a very interesting age. Um, the empty nester. Well, it's almost like it's even beyond the empty nester. I would almost say it's closer to, well, maybe there are two different things you could tell me, but like 
my, you know, like my mom, for example, f- started to, you know, f- filing for divorce at the age of like 66. Oh, that's well yeah. after her kids were gone. And yeah. I think of that as like that phase of life or that motivation more having to do with like this desire to. Well, let me just let me rephrase that. I think it has more to do with the sort of like proximity to death, right? Yeah, I think how the, you're looking at your the mortality I, I starts your to get really years. focused. But I think it also has something to do with her feeling she's got a lot more life in her. Right. right. She wants to spend it right. in a way that is valuable yeah. and meaningful. Totally. So she's not I don't I think she's thinking of death, but way in the future. So she's looking for a period of time in which she can invest in a new relationship. Right. Or she can do something in terms of her life that she hasn't done before. Right. Yeah. So yes, mortality plays a part, but in a kind of like a quirky way. Yeah, in a, in a positive, in a positive way, way, I think. Right. I think exactly. it's very much like, like make oh. use of the time. Right. Well, I yeah. think it's when you kind of come to terms with like, okay, there is it is finite, and right. how do I actually want to spend it? And maybe taking stock. I also have a family member who is, you know, oddly at this at that roughly same age, kind of going through that, and it's a really it is. I think it's your eyes open in a different way to see, you know, how do I actually and and. And it has to be okay, right? Mm-hmm. I think that there's like this stigma. I mean, I remember like Alan Tipper Gore got divorced like after they oh, were in the public right. eye, like well into their, right. like, I don't remember how old they were, but it was right. like a big deal. Like who sees, you know, grandparents getting yeah, divorced? Was, they were in their 50s, I think, or early 60s. Oh, I thought they were, okay. I think, I think they were in their 50s. But yeah. I mean, so do you, I mean, do you see patients like on, in this, You know, in these I have a very interesting practice because I see people at all different stages of the life cycle. So I have a lot of young, I do see a lot of young people mm-hmm. who are in their 30s, who are newly married or in a relationship that has been long-term and want to really, they're, they're sort of facing the fact that there are some issues that they want to confront because they haven't had their children yet. They basically don't want to get, a lot of people don't want to get divorced after they have children. They want to invest in the relationship to make sure that when they have their children, their relationship is solid. So I do see a lot of couples in that those earlier stages mm-hmm. of relationship and or marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, That's when I did mine my first time. Your first couple therapy. therapy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember. I I remember my husband and I. We got married when we were very young, and I just didn't want to be a single parent. I didn't want to be a single parent. Mm-hmm. So I basically we didn't have our first child for ten years mm-hmm. until we worked out the kinks and we got along. Didn't get along very well. <laughs> for for you several years, fighting a lot. Yeah. Wait. So you were you were fighting a lot immediately after having children. Right. No, no. Immediately, be, right after marriage. Oh, right after so marriage. Before we had our children, because we waited ten years to have our first child. Got it. Got it. When okay. our marriage was stable. Yes. So so let's talk a little bit about what goes into a stable marriage. Yeah. What is really a good marriage? What are the characteristics of a good marriage? And I was thinking about this. There are three things I think that are really important. One I think is respect. I think mutual respect is enormously important. So I I think that, you know, we show respect by appreciation and honesty and treating your partner as an equal, even though your roles are maybe very different in the marriage. Um, So mutual respect, trust. And I don't mean trust just in the way of like, are you going to step out of the marriage in terms of an extramarital affair? I'm talking about trusting that your partner is someone you can talk to has good judgment, someone you can make decisions with, that you really trust them and value their input into, you know, kind of what the two of you are going to do together. And the third thing is something I talk a lot about with my clients, and that is vision of life. 
It's very important for two people to have the same vision of life. And what that means is, do we have the same, or are the same things important to us? How important is val- is, is how family? How important is religion? How important are, is um, where we live? Mm-hmm. One of you wants to live in the rural areas. One of you wants to live in the city. That's not going to work. So vision of life is like, how do we, what is the overlapping our belief systems mm-hmm. that we share, which is absolutely critical. And when yeah. you, one, one of the first questions I ask people, like, what is your what is your vision, you know, of the future? Right. And I tease that out in the early sessions when I work with couples. It's interesting. One, one recently, one man said to me, my vision is that my wife and I should go, we should be together against the world mm-hmm. as sort of a, a real core team kind of confronting the nasty world together. Mm-hmm. Her vision is we should go and be together as we explore the world. Mm-hmm. So that's, there's, there's a subtle difference between those yeah. two things. One is like it's us against them, and the other is let's go and do this together. Mm-hmm. Let's like right. do our independent things and basically kind of explore stuff and bring it back mm-hmm. into the relationship. So what's your that, prognosis for that? Match. I think that's a big. I think that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a problem. I think that they have to come more together because her vision is we're two independent people bringing back to the relationship mm-hmm. and going sort of pooling our interests. And his vision is we're kind of like always putting each other first. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's a subtle difference, right? It's yeah. a big difference. Yeah. That, that has to. That has to be worked out. And they're working on it. I mean, they're working on it. Right. The prognosis is if, right. Yeah. It's a fake. So, what are the sort of most poisonous things that affect a, a marriage? What are the most? There, there's a word that's coming to mind when I ask this question. Yeah. And I just say because I'm hearing it a lot, like in my, you know, in like circles. Yeah. Like, and I think it's probably very common, but just like. How do you deal with resentment in a relationship? <laughs> there is no relationship ever that doesn't have resentment as a feature. Okay. Right. That's good there to hear. Is, that it, is refreshing. You know what? That's like really refreshing to hear because people oh. sort of look at it as this thing that you're supposed to solve or fix. And it's like this big toxic piece of a relationship. So that's really refreshing to hear you say that that's actually, can I say healthy? A- absolutely. Okay. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, your partner is not going to be perfect all the time. They are going to get on your nerves. There's going to be repetitive conflicts sometimes that really kind of generate and accumulate some resentment. But, you know, I mean, as long as it doesn't, I mean, certainly there is a point of poison to yeah. feeling about somebody and you disrespect them. Again, I come back to that respect issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think healthy resentment is great. Yeah. I really do. And I don't agree with this idea that you should go to bed, never go to bed angry. Good. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad you said that. I totally believe. Me too. I totally believe that sometimes it pays off to go to bed angry. It just puts things in a different context. I mean, I certainly, like I said, you know, we there are no, you know, there are those evenings where just you're you're combative and you're not going to agree and you're not going to see eye to eye. And depending on your makeup as a couple and your dynamic. Sure, some people can like sit and really just take your time out and have the pause in mm-hmm. the moment and talk it through. And then there's the rest of us that are like, uh-uh, I'm not backing down. Well, also and kind of at some point, you might feel like you're too overwhelmed or too overstimulated. Right. You kind of get flooded. a good conversation. Yeah. Right. So go to bed yeah. and wake up the next morning or the next or two days later, 
and pick up the conversation when you're calm. It just feels different in a different way. Yeah. Right. You're at a different place emotionally. It feels you're less not so hot. You're not so hot wired. Yeah. So you can talk about that. Yeah. Maybe in a different way, with a different perspective. With I different mean, but so, yeah. So I have a question sure. that sort of like touches on both of these things that, that, this notion of resentment being there's a healthy amount of it. And then I think what you were starting to say was there, then there's sort of like low grade, if there's kind of like a constant undercurrent of resentment that never goes away, that's a different thing. That affects the way you perceive your partner. Right. That really is. So that reminds your perception of your partner in a positive way. Right. You really feel, you know, he or she's a jerk. And we start thinking that Yeah. And it starts to shape your... Yeah. So I had this, I mean, this is kind of like, for me, a little bit of my own like yardstick, I guess. But with my ex, you know, we would have these fights about whatever it was. Sometimes it was important and a real issue. And sometimes it was just stupid. But, you know, I felt like at the end of it, after we would kind of make up and get back together, I still felt that there was like, each time we made up after a fight a little bit had been chipped away mm-hmm. and it really just started to feel like there was this erosion that was just never kind of like repairing itself. And that combined with some other factors and whatever, just like it didn't work out, right? And I don't feel that in my current marriage. Mm-hmm. And even though we have our share of, you know, disagreements and sometimes mm-hmm. big fights and, you know, we're much more similar. So there's more clashing. That's the one thing I feel always very like happy to say is like, you know, we fight and it gets bad, but then when we're when it comes back around, like, I don't feel that sense of erosion. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that that erosion, when it does happen, like, can you I come back it, from it? I think it's very hard. Yeah. I mean, that's why I recommend to couples who, you know, I remember in my own marriage, one of the things that we did, because we fought a lot in the first couple of years of our marriage, like constantly. What were you fighting about? Can I ask? Well, you know, we did have, came from very different backgrounds, extremely different backgrounds. And I think um, my husband's European. I'm a very middle America. I grew up in Buffalo. He grew up in... Belgium and New York, we just didn't have the same ideas Mm -hmm. about, it was really a vision of life thing. His idea was I should be arranging the flowers. And basically my idea, yeah, yeah, that I should be putting away his clothes and arranging the flowers. My idea was that basically I'm going to have a career. It's going to be as important as yours. You know, it was the women's movement then. And um, I wanted equality in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't want as close a relationship with his family as he wanted. Well, he didn't want it. He was sort of trapped by it. Uh And I thought that he really had to separate a little bit more from his family. So we fought constantly about these things. Mm. But it got, and it got very ugly. You know, I would pack up my bags and I would leave and wow. come back. I have no place to go. Nobody in New York. <laughs> You're like, I'm an independent woman. <laughs> right, um, where can I go? Can I sleep over? <laughs> can I just sleep on your couch? Can I sleep over? Exactly. I call my roommates from college to uh. sleep over. But I think what helped us, and I think that does help when that erosion starts happening, is if you can put it aside and do something that really goes back to something that really gave you pleasure in a courtship. Like my husband and I were big skiers. We met skiing. So we would go on a vacation skiing. Mm. We'd like be, be like putting money in the bank. Mm-hmm. It was like we put money in the bank and then we had some I like reserve. that analogy. And I do ask couples to do that where they've gotten into a stuck place to go back to something that was really pleasurable in your relationship and recreate it. Go on a vacation. Do that game you used to play. Yeah. Um, pull back those memories of, you know, of the charm and the pleasantness and the sexiness. The courtship. I mean, the that's courtship. Like, that's when it exactly. all feels what is sparkly. The, and What is yeah. the blueprint of your relationship? Yeah. What did you do in that blueprint phase where you were creating patterns that worked? 
Right. I think that's a really good point. And I find that that does help too. I mean, you know, good dose of karaoke. Never with hurts that. anybody. Never hurts right. anybody. But, um, but on, on, at the same time, it's sort of, I guess my question is, how do you then look at your partner with, I don't know, in a way, like, I don't want to go back in time. I don't want to try and revisit something or capture something that's like decades old. Mm-hmm. There, there, to me, and I know that that just has been helpful, but it's like, is there a way that you can look at your partner, you know, 10 years in, 20 years in, sort of suspend, you know, reality or disbelief for a moment and look at them with like, like you just met them, like with really fresh eyes and say like for the for the person that they are today, not for the person that like you remember when you first started dating or the person that maybe you want them to be today and they're not. I think that's very sweet. I, I'm not sure how realistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I think part of the evolution of marriage is coming to terms with who your partner is and sort of ch- and adjusting our As expectations. As opposed to who you want them to who be. Who you want them to be, exactly. Yeah. And of course, we all know that women like to change, think that they can change their partners. We can only change so much. I think part of it is coming to terms with, you know, kind of who your partner is and making that work for you, valuing it, knowing that you chose this person because there is something about them that completes you or something that makes you feel good or something that right. they carry for you that you can't integrate for yourself. But I feel like that's kind of what I'm saying is that there's the, you know, like allowing for that evolution to happen and and to look at your partner to say like, this is who this person is like right now, right. as opposed to like who they were trying to right. hold them to oh, this. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah, trying to hold them to this person. Maybe it was very fun and flirty and whatever and during the courtship time, but right. like maybe that's not who they are anymore. Right. They're a sort of evolved version of that. But I still think you can capture some of that. Yeah, I yeah. do. I think you can go back, especially if you do something frivolous. You go like an activity, right. right. You go, you know, kind of doing something, you know. Or like, you have the, the dinner that you had on your first exactly. date or whatever it is. Go to a romantic place. I mean, yeah. I do think you can yeah. capture some of that. Listen, life gets very stressful, particularly, you know, for all of us who are working and have kids and have complicated lives. So putting that all aside and sort of going back and recapturing some romance, yeah. I think that's very important. Yeah. I do. And I think se- I do think sex is terribly important all through marriage. Okay. Up so in- let's, let's get into it. Well let's in let's do it. Subject. <laughs> well into your 80s. I mean, I really do think sex is very important. Although I must say that I do see couples, and, and I think their marriages are very fragile, who don't have sex for long, long periods of time. Get, what's a long period of time? Oh my gosh. Um, I, mean, I know it's all relative, but... It's all relative. I mean, I have I see I see some couples who haven't had sex in years. Yeah. Okay. That's a long time. Sure. Yeah. I think not having sex in six months is a long time. Yeah. Right. I think not having sex in three months is a long time. Yeah. Um, from there on, I think there's a lot of variety, but mm-hmm. um, I think that you know, people go on long periods and have really kind of don't see their partners as sexual mm-hmm. beings anymore. Right. I think that marriage is probably in trouble. Right. And how much of that has to do with um, children? Oh, I think children really just love the sexual vibe. <laughs> they just <laughs> suck lot. the sex right out of every right. relationship. How, how old are your children, Zoe? Two and four. Oh, yeah. She's like, how often are you not having sex? I'm like, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's definitely... uh, It definitely is hard to fit in. It's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Not even just like time-wise, but it's just like... Well, I don't mean fit in. I mean emotionally fit in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, emotionally. Yeah, yeah. Taking care of young children. 
Yeah. Taking care of young children is not particularly sexy. because No, right. there's nothing sexy about it. All your love it. goes to the child also. Kind yeah. Of. It doesn't make you feel like you want to reinvest in yourself or even look at your partner in a way that suggests, uh, you know, I mean, and I'm not speaking from experience, obviously, but I can understand that when you're like, well, also I, w- I would ask though, I mean, I feel like I talk to so many women who feel that like sex for them has to be, it's not just perfunctory. It's not just physical. It has and to be with an it, emotional It has component. to be with an emotional component, which is why it feels like it's harder for a lot of women to like flip the switch and get into the mood mm-hmm. and their partners are like, Any no, time. but we just got to do time. it because right. once we do it, then you'll feel, and like that is a constant battle right, for like, right. you know, he right. said, she said. And no one's having sex in that scenario because right. she's... I mean, one of the things I do tell patients is when, you know, kind of they're in that stage of life that you're in with young children. You're like in the sexless stage of life that you're yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I mean, if you think your partner, for instance, is a great father, you think he's a great dad, that's kind of sexy. Yeah. That can be sexy. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally sexy. Yeah. And if you can have fun in that stage with your partner, just watching him put the kids to bed mm-hmm. or watching him get... No, that totally know, is, yeah. It, it's, it's a tr- it can be a turn on. Yeah. We need to tell turn. guys that, I think, a little bit louder. I think they, I need, think to, so. they need to get that message a little bit more clearly because I, agree. I, I, I see that... I see when dads don't think it's like cool or sexy to be yeah, like a great father, uh, yeah, a fun dad, yeah, like yeah. a you know emotionally available dad or like <laughs> right. a playful dad or whatever it is. Right. And it's like right. that is maybe the sexiest thing to a woman in the world. Mm-hmm. Sure. I totally agree. Totally, that, yeah, that, and um, that'll help. Yeah, but but and then just the physical component of having kids. I mean, my God, it's like I think you really turn a corner once you stop breastfeeding if you ever did breastfeed in the first place, because then you're like your body, you're looking at your body as this just like. Yeah. Um, totally. Different. You're just like supply. You're a supplier. A supplier. Right. And you, you're like, oh my God, another person right, needing right. like- Want something want from something this. Want something from right. this organ. Like, dear <laughs> God, get off me. Sort of feel like a parasite. Um, anyway, but so how did, can I just ask like for, for you, like how did you, did you go through any phase sexually or lack thereof after um, you had kids? You know, I think that- over the course, I mean, I've been married a very long time. So I think over the course of marriage, there are times when you're not as sexually active and there's sort of, there, there's ups and downs in that. Yeah. Certainly, you know, you're in that stage of life where I think it's very important to, you know, not to put sex on the back burner too long. Right. But I think all, all relationships do go through these, you know, kind of, you know, kind of ebbs and, sure. you, you know, mm-hmm. they do. But I feel um, like, yeah. So I think that, but I think that, you know, kind of, one of the things that I, I think is very important for, for women is that once they get into it, they're usually turned on. They may mm-hmm. not have the same libido. They may not have the same drive. Because men are, I hate to reinforce the stereotype, but I think it's true. Guys will have sex under any circumstances. You know, mm-hmm. They don't need to have the emotional, right. most men don't need to have the emotional context. Right. A lot of women need the emotional context. But once you start getting into the sex, into a sexual sort of like situation, you get turned on. Right. And then, even though you didn't initiate it, although the one thing men tell me more than anything else is they they want their partners to, to initiate sex. Yeah. yeah. But that is the sexiest to them. Right. Yeah. That's, it's so interesting. Them, yeah. Kind of yeah. You know, kiss them, start, you know, playing with them. You make the, you do the initiating. Yeah. Right. Guys really crave that. That's so interesting. Why do you think that is? They want to be sought after. They want to be, you know, they want to be perceived as sexy. sexy. Yeah. They don't always want to do the work. They don't always want to do the initiation, you know. Right. You know, 
They, they fear rejection. They're afraid. Men are afraid and feel rejection. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> if you, if you, if they make overtures and you're not responding, right? Yeah, they're hurt. But that's Aww. such a delicate dance because I feel like also I think I know plenty of women and I think I would include myself. Like I also like to feel you know desired and pursued. Yeah. So right. like I kind of I'm I'm sort of looking for you know for him to make the first move and but I don't. Does it always have to be that way? No, it doesn't always. Yeah, it doesn't always. I guess what this all comes down to, though, just I mean, what you were starting to say too is that it's often harder for women to once they're in it, they're enjoying it. But getting there is really there's like a mental hurdle right. of like I know that he's going to want to have sex tonight, and I really <laughs> am not like how do I get there? How do I get there? And like how do how they do get, there? get there? How do you do that? Like how do you how do you make the space knowing that you have to have that emotional? Like, how do you do it? I mean, what I recommend to women a lot is, you know, gonna you should buy lingerie, not for him, but for you. Mm-hmm. You should invest in something that makes you feel sexy, mm-hmm. whether it's your clothes, your lingerie, mm-hmm. your hair, your whatever. You need to, you know, kind of like turn yourself on. Because right. women kind of like, they're sometimes you just... They're just not focused on that. Mm-hmm. They're focused on taking care of people, taking care of the kids, you know, doing that. They're, they're focused too much on other people instead mm-hmm. of what gives them pleasure? What gives them pleasure in their body? Is it exercising? Is it going to the gym more? Is it, you know, going out and, you know, kind of treating yourself to some beautiful thing, whether it's a pocketbook or a pair of shoes or a sexy lingerie, but not for him. Right. And yeah, but I going to the gym is not going to get him laid. <laughs> I mean, if you're not there. So, like, Wait, what did you say? I said just like going to the gym more is not going to get your husband, like, he's not getting his rocks off if you're going to the gym because you're in the gym. So, yeah. like, well, when you come back. I guess the idea is like you're, well, the feeling, idea is you're feeling, you're better feeling better, better about yourself. Feeling better about yeah. yourself. That's yeah. the whole thing. And, and, and of course, exercise, as we all know, and, you know, increases your endorphins, mm-hmm. makes you, yeah. your mood better, kind of like it, it offsets some, you know, kind of, um, lethargy, it mm-hmm. makes you feel more lively. Yeah. Feel more alive. For sure. And that's what sex does. I mean, at all stages. Right. It makes you feel more alive. It makes you feel, I mean, even at my stage, you know, most of my friends I think are having sex. I hope they're having sex. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I think otherwise you feel like half dead or unattractive. Yeah. That's, I think that's unfortunate. <laughs> it's but, true. Sex serves a lot of purposes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even just like physiologically, like there's mm-hmm. like the science around what an orgasm actually does inside your system. Like it, it does help you in many mm-hmm. ways. But my question around, you know, talking about the sort of the later years where, you know, you, you maybe the desire and the libido is lower, but you're saying like, you really want to see couples that are still continuing to have sex. Like, is there still because there are those couples who just don't, and they think of each other more as companions, companions than right. anything else. Right. I mean, is that? I think that's a valid, um, you know, I think that's a valid kind of marriage. As long as they're both on the same page. I mean, that's really right. what it has to come down to, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, you know, both people want that and that that's what they value. And the sex becomes much less important to them. I think that's a valid, you know, kind of form of marriage. Yeah. Uh, I don't see in my own practice that it, works as well the people that, like that i see that have fallen off sexually are usually in trouble mm-hmm. in terms of their marriage mm-hmm. yeah um and i have seen some stable marriages that have sort of given up on sex um but they're pretty dull marriages yeah they're pretty they're not they're not really exciting marriages they're right. not really vital marriages they're people who are like keeping everything sort of really, coexisting. a little bit dull yeah. yeah a little bit coexisting yeah so what do you think when people say um, 
sort of, I just had this conversation with a friend who's most likely getting a divorce um, any minute who said, I think it's pretty much run its course. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the question Move is, like, is there how, such do thing? how do you know? How do you know when something know? has run its course? Is it like first can, thing to go is the sex? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think can you can you you know how do you view your partner? If you're reviewing your partner really negatively, yeah, don't have the impetus to really reinvest, to go for therapy, to get some help, to sort of like let's let's go forward. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of couples who are stuck. And I honestly will tell you, of course, my practice is a little skewed in terms of people coming to see me who really want to work on their marriages. People know I've been married for a long time and I write books about marriage and all that. But I must say that, you know, you can revive a marriage. You can. But there are times when it's really time to say goodbye. And how do you, what's the difference? I think you really don't like your partner. Right. You really don't like your partner. But how do you know when it's just like, a phase. You're going through a tough is a time. Is, it a is this just like a difficult point in our in chapter in our relationship? Because whatever circumstances, you could say kids, you could say whatever, all the many things that happen. And how do you know? Like, how do you know when you should just wait for this to sort of pass? Well, I would say, and I want to hear your answer, but I will say from my own experience. I mean, I think for me, I it was like, okay, this could be a phase. We could go to counseling to work on it, and it. I just felt like I don't want to go to counseling. Yeah. Well, you were just like, I'm not interested in this person anymore. Exactly. I'm not, I'm not interested in this relationship anymore. I think you anymore. knew very, you were just like. Yeah, but I yeah. guess the, maybe I knew before I realized I knew. Yeah. But the moment I realized I knew was when I said, I, I don't think I want to go to counseling. I just, I, this is done. Yeah. So. Yeah, because nothing good is going to come out of counseling. I mean, I was at that point in my marriage when I basically, I knew I loved my husband. We just didn't get along. So the question right. was, could we get along better? Right. And, you know, would that be enough? And it has been enough. We've had a I really, love that you said that though. I knew I loved my husband. We just didn't get along. Like, that's so real. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I knew I loved my husband. We just didn't get along. We just had to work some things out. And I think that the worst point in marriage when you know that when you're really in trouble is when you say, I've given up on this person. Um, I really am shutting down. Shutting down in marriage is really right. bad. They what is like stonewalling, like? right? Shutting down, like kind of emotional withdrawal, don't want to communicate anymore, sort of counting the person out of your life, kind of really just not wanting to bother to communicate, not yeah. wanting to bother to make an effort, not mm-hmm. wanting to bother to find out. Like I said to a couple the other day, I said, well, how did you get here? They're both not talking to each other. They have two kids, four and six basically going separate separate ways completely. How did you get here? You know, you started out so hot and heavy. You had a very romantic courtship. Mm-hmm. What happened? So it's not that many years later. It's maybe, I think they've been married for about eight to 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, and um, they, 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 they were stunned by my question. Like, how did they get, how did they get there? They both want to, I think that, that neither, let me put it this way, neither one of them wants to get divorced, mm-hmm. but do they want to really invest? That's still the big question. So right. you could not want to get divorced right. and not be ready to invest and it doesn't work. Right. So then you have to get out Stuck in a holding there. pattern. Were they just in a funk or was there some kind of like indiscretion or what was the... Well, I nothing, mean, nothing to point to. It's, been a, it's a cumulative for couples to get to that point over... They feel they've been disappointed so the many erosion, times. The erosion. The erosion factor. Yes. They've, they've been there so many times. They don't seem to make any headway on the conflicts. Because that's another indication. That if you're having the same, do you make fight. headway? Yeah. Do you come to some like? Do you come to a better understanding? Mm-hmm. Like, does it help that you can 
talk it out and do get to a slightly better place. And then every time you talk, every time you get to a slightly better place, some people don't get a slightly better place. Right. Yeah. And then they sort of give up and they really, they, they really don't want to make the effort. I think if you don't want it, like you didn't want to make the effort, it wasn't, didn't matter how much counseling you had, you, you weren't really interested. Right. Right. And I think a couple people do get, and I think they should move on at that point. I think it's very important to feel you can do better. Right. And you deserve settle? better. You yeah. deserve better. Why settle for that? Right. Yeah. So I have a question about talking it out. Yeah. Um, because I think that, you know, it, we're so, we're, we're fortunate in so many ways and we're empowered in so many ways now compared to, you know, 30, 40 years ago, like when our parents were, you know, when our parents were, were we were growing up and watching our parents, my parents fought and divorced. We are so much more equipped with the tools to communicate than we once were. But is there kind of a, like, do you have to talk out every single problem? No. Because I certainly, you know, there are the ones that, you know, you can kind of, like, your, to your point, are you making headway? Are you having the same argument, maybe getting towards a resolution where you're right. moving away from that same argument? Or are you understanding each other better? Right. Or are you also, or the flip side of it is like, are you spending so much time nitpicking this same issue that like maybe sometimes it could actually just be like put over there. We don't need to dive back into this. It depends how important the issue is. I mean, it depends how important the issue is. The issue has to do with how you're, you know, kind of parenting your children, what your sort of values and approach to money is, how do we manage sort of our different spiritual needs um, how do we relate to our families? Those are pretty big issues. Right, it's a big one. You can't push those under the rug and think, oh, this will just, let's just ignore this. You know, money is a big topic, mm-hmm. as we all know. I think people generally do not have the same approach to money. Mm-hmm. I think the most common pattern in the world is that one person is a spender and one person is a saver. Mm-hmm. And the saver resents the spender and the spender thinks the saver is cheap. Right. So that has to be modified religion, spiritual sort of affiliations and how important that is for you, mm-hmm. relationship with your parents, how important family is, extended family is, um, whether you're together in your parenting on certain principles, whether you have the same approach. There's some things you can absolutely, let's not even talk about that. So like, like when you're bickering. Terrib- my husband's a terrible dresser, you know? <laughs> right. When I you're bickering and having the same fight I, I, about that. I'm not going to have that argument with him. Uh, so you just, you just let things. it happen. That I'll sort of like ask him when we're going someplace that matters to me. Will he? But otherwise, I'm can not you please just never wear those shoes? That's not <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> you're, like you're so unpresentable. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I'm just thinking about the uh, how do you how do you know like what is the difference between? So you're talking about having similar life goals or plans or yeah, vision, right? Vision, right. So <clears throat> how much does it matter that you are? similar to your partner or complementary or, I mean, you know, my, my husband and I, I think we have some things in common, but we also are like very different, very different. In, in a lot of ways. Um, but are you believe, uh, you're very different in a lot of ways. Do you complement each other? Sometimes, you know, sometimes it's complimentary and sometimes it's just annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the amb- ambiguity about sort of this complementarity because the very things you sort of like and dislike in your partner are, are the flips are, are very similar. Yeah. You like the fact that he's more aggressive perhaps, but you also find him a little bit too 
loud. Or, right. Yeah, I guess it's right. sort of, it's more like, um, it's like the timing when it sort of suits you, I guess. <laughs> right. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> good then point. maybe it's a little right. bit That's more. That's a good quality right. show now. Right. But don't show that in other Right. Time. But when I'm exhausted, don't invite 50 people over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm being a little antisocial, like I'm glad that you're a social right, right. animal. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's so just, when it works and when it doesn't when work. When it works, yeah. I, I, I guess it doesn't really have to do with life vision, but I guess I, I'm just wondering, is it better or worse to be like this more? super compatible? It's much more interesting. Really, to be total opposite. If you're opposite. Yeah. Marriages are much more interesting. And, it's just you're, as, and you're just as compatible. You're just as compatible or just, or just as not. But I mean, basically marriages where two people are too similar are not that interesting. And yeah. when you say interesting, like marriages are more interesting when people are opposite. I, I mean, basically, they're more interesting people. They tend to take more risks. They tend to have more productive lives. Right. People who are too similar are dull. Yeah. They keep each other probably, I think. Exactly. They don't push each other, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, thank you. So that's exactly the point. They yeah. Don't push each other to change. Yeah. Because people are diff- different. Their mm-hmm. complementarity works in both good and bad ways. Right. They also kind of push each other to grow. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be a more dynamic relationship, exactly. which means that you're going to have, like, when you're coming together and when you're on the same page, it's yeah. great. But then when you're not, the discord right. is probably more dramatic. Exactly. You can have some exactly. more. And that, I think that's a very interesting aspect of complementarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's one of the things that I really love about my husband the most is that when, you know, I think that he does push me in so many, he gets me out of my comfort zone yeah. in so many different areas. Yeah. Sometimes, again, sometimes it's very annoying, but I think looking back, it's really served both right. of us. Yeah. Right. And, and, it, and it helps you grow. I mean, it, it, yeah. basically yeah. you're, you're being challenged to grow and change. And, and so is he. You probably do the same thing for him. Yeah, I hope so. I'm but sure, I have to say, I'm there's sure probably nothing sexier, right, than to see your partner like grow and evolve by exactly. your under you your know. under your eye. Yeah, yes, look in, what in, I created. Unless you're unless you're threatened by right. it. Oh, exactly. Unless you're yeah. threatened by no, it. No, that's a good point. And yeah. I think that gets back to the respect thing. You know, that basically, you know, when you grow, your partner should be, you know, kind of embracing that. Yeah, yeah. We were embracing. talking about that a little bit. How you allow for that space, right? So how do you let your partner evolve and grow, um, and just change identities if they need to, right. but also you know not be threatened by that change. Mm-hmm. Like how how do you do that? Because I know that's. I mean, I have to imagine that's pretty common. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you see your partner evolving, and it's like. Anything else? I mean, it's sort of it's stimulating. It's stimulating to see somebody, unless they're evolving in a direction you don't want them to go. Right. Yeah. Um, and well, and that's what comes back to the values and the life right. vision. Life vision. And right. then also that trust piece. And I, I think, I mean, when you said that initially, that I think the trust piece is really interesting because I think most people really think about trust in that very sort of binary, like, oh, as long as I, I trust as long him. As he doesn't cheat. As long as he doesn't cheat. cheat. Like trust equates fidelity. And that's not And it. that's like the basic no. level. Right. That's like ground level right. trust. Right. But the trust that like, that that you guys are a team and that they have your back and that there's somebody you can come to. Come to and somebody's that, opinion you value. And, that, and then to, to this point, like, when they are maybe growing and evolving that, you know, you trust that they still have you in mind and mm-hmm. in their heart. And then if they don't, then obviously that you've evolved in different ways. But mm-hmm. I think oftentimes people really oversimplify the nature of the word trust. trust and I, I think it's so... Yeah, it's not about, it's not just about loyalty and about whether you're going to cheat. Right. It's about trusting your partner and valuing their opinions, their insights, their input, yeah. um, their partnership, mm-hmm. talking it over. 
Yeah. But how do you get over? Because I think I think trust is again not just so specific to infidelity, but like how do you get over um lack of trust or if that's been broken somehow yeah. by your partner? Is there getting very over hard. it? It's very is there really getting over it? It's very hard. I mean, especially if there's been a breach of trust, if there's yeah. been a real serious breach of trust. Yes. Um and usually that breach of trust usually has to do with an outside relationship. Right. It's hard. I mean, I think that your partner you have to have this, again, it goes back to this value thing. What do we value? I mean, if it's a mistake, I've had so many couples who've come in here, and I don't know, you know, who've had an affair and somebody's been found out and then they come in. Those, re- those relationships recover. And the way they recover is that the person realizes they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And if it's repetitive and somebody doesn't, isn't remorseful, isn't sorry, you know, feels this compulsive behavior, forget it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's safe to say that if it's repetitive Yes. You're kind but, of But if it's, f- if it's I've mean, had couples who make, who've had made a mistake. Yes. Right. They've made a mistake. And that I get. Like, I get that. I we get like a, a moment of like. Very bad judgment. Very bad judgment. Sort of like the perfect storm of like things perfect happening, storm. you know, but it's the, it's the chronic philanderer. It's oh. like that. When it seems more premeditated rather than well, like bad judgment. It's like, it's truly like you're living a double lie. Right. So it's like, exactly. you're not, it's, it's Beyond, like so. Yeah. So, do you have couples who come in with that sort of the, the the repetitive? And what is your response to that? Well, I do have couples who come in with repetitive affairs, and sometimes I must say, and usually it's the woman, she really doesn't want to know. So I'll say to her, some things like, "Does that really add up? Like he's gone off for three days, and he said he's on a business trip, and you don't hear from him, and you know, and it's repetitive." And he, this happens a lot in New York. And so, uh, you know, he's been caught once or twice. She found some presents underneath the stairs. She thought they were for her. She looked at them and they were beautiful diamond things and fancy pocketbooks and all kinds of stuff. It was for Christmas for her. She was so excited. She never got them. It's like Mm -hmm. Love Actually. I mean, there's a Uh, whole movie with that Right. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, I mean, you really have to want to know if it's repetitive and then make a decision. Some people don't want to know. Yeah. So they would I'll rather say, just say, I'm, if I'm not seeing it. I'm not but. seeing it. I, I don't have to act on it. I don't have to make a decision. Um, it may serve for purposes that she doesn't really want an intimate relationship either. Right. And this is kind of like a pro forma marriage. Um, but what if they are still sexually active with that person who they, who they are kind of turning a blind eye to? You mean if the partner is sexually active? Yeah. Um, what happens at the marriage? Well, I mean, you're saying if the married couple is still active with each other, but then one of them is also one off of them with is, like a side one of gig. them is still off, you know, having, having however a, many marital affairs, right. and and the other partner is saying like, I don't want to know about it, but I'm still having sex with you. Like, what is your advice? Because I feel like that gets into like a different territory of like, I I, I don't know, like, the, do you feel responsibility to your patients in that way to say like? No, no. I, mean, I don't feel like I can make decisions for my patients. Yeah. So I'll say things like, "Does that add up?" Or, "Yeah, what do you think he's doing?" Um, I, always in the couple context, not right. secretly. Um, so if he comes up with some phony stories, it comes up a lot. You know, a lot. I'll say, "What do you think about that?" Or it doesn't quite make sense to me. What do you think? And if she doesn't want to go there, I'm not going to force her. Right. Right. So why do you think that they, sorry, and I knew, we, we were like, we're not going to get stuck on infidelity because it's I almost, know, it's, I know, a it's a whole, whole other, other thing. Topic. Right, we'll have to do that another time. But 
It's just so, it's so meaty, but I do think it is maybe, I guess, its own episode. Okay. Well, then I have a question on a separate topic okay. that I'm curious about. Um, do you, are you familiar with this concept of like the love languages when we're talking about kind of compatibility? I, about no, it. Yeah. I just I bought that, that book. Yeah. I never read it, but yeah. I've read it. I've like, yeah, I've read it. I've given oh, it. Yeah. I mean, do you like it's it? A, I do. It makes sense. Until what it doesn't. The, prem- the premise is, and this is an old book. I mean, it came out, yeah, in like came the, out a, long time. a long time ago and he's written a few others since then. But, you know, it circulates every once in a while through mm-hmm, friend mm-hmm. groups and stuff like that. And the idea is that there are really only four different ways that couples communicate with each other. So is so one is, um, is quality time spent together. One is words of, uh, is words. One is physical affection and one is acts of service. So the idea is like, are you somebody who expresses yourself to your spouse by saying, I love you 30 times a day? You are like a verbal person. They could be, in which case you're speaking the same language. But if I say, I love you to my husband who is not a verbal, his, his language isn't verbal. His language is like acts of service. You know, if I well, my expectation is like I want to hear him say it back, he doesn't have the the tools. So, but he does like you know he takes out the trash and he does all these things, things to kind of improve that he cares to about show you. exactly to demonstrate. Right. So the idea is like how do you match up? How do you match, match up? up and the compatibility and right. like do you have to learn to speak the other person's language? Do you expect them to learn yours? Blah blah blah. I think that's part of I mean getting to know your partner. I mean honestly, my own feeling about it is sort of the act of sort of saying you love somebody is less important than what you show. Sure. I think people can say a lot of crap and it doesn't mean anything like you are what you do. Um, and the way you treat your partner, the way you care about them, or you care about the things that are important to them, that's showing appreciation. Oh, I have to tell you some great research. Um, there's this research that this guy in Seattle, his name is Gottman did many years ago. And he sort of defined marriage. You can tell a stable marriage in one very simple way. Are there four positive interactions? I'm on the edge of my seat. To every negative interaction. So if you make ah. one criticism, and I tell couples this all the time, if you criticize your partner once or give them a disdaining look, nonverbal or verbal, criticism, disdaining looks, jabs, nasty comments, you have to make up for that with four, four times. Positive interaction. Wow. Oh, man. I'm in debt. <laughs> I think I might be in debt. <laughs> in order for that My eyes roll stable. on their own. I know, but uh, it's so intuitively correct. That's really, that's It's intuitively so absolutely correct. Because if, you are, if your ratio is not more positive than negative, yeah. maybe it's not four to one. But if it's if it's not more positive than negative, sure. the relationship is going to really suffer. But it's interesting that he specifically says four. Oh, he specifically he did research with cameras and all kinds wow. of stuff in people's houses, and sort of was able to predict marital satisfaction and marital um, stability based on these ratios. That is fascinating. I think, I think, How do you quantify that though? Like, well, what is- you can tell. I mean, I could tell you if I watch you and your partner. Yeah, good catalog. Like, if I watched you for an hour, I could tell you how many positive and negative interactions you had. Okay. And they're little, right? They're like little. It, yeah. they're, they're they're not like, oh, I love you, darling. They're, oh, sweetheart, you know. Um, or like you smile at them while they're doing talking. That? Yeah. You know, like just a negative look, a comment, yeah, a jab. You know, we just do these things unconsciously. Yeah. Although I must say, I have to watch my criticism a lot of my husband because I am. Very, <laughs> I tend to be. Very critical sometimes, and it just—it's so negative. It's just <laughs> it negative. Is. So how does he handle that? Or and how do where you are your four? Hates it. Where are Listen, your four makeups? Yeah, 
I just was out in California with my sister and I was watching her interact with her husband. She's more critical than I. <laughs> and how- I told my husband, I said, you let's visit her more often. Because, you know, really, I look like a princess compared to her. <laughs> but I think it's intuitively correct. I think if you criticize or negative mm. or make negative comments or disdaining looks or, you know, little microaggressions, yeah. I think you need to it, appreciation, recognition, doing nice things, um, being positive. I think goes a long way. Yeah. yeah. It's just why the average time you have, like the average amount of times you have to say you're sorry is like four or five. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I thought yeah. that was like tasting spicy food and learning uh, how to like it. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's kind of like, yeah, I usually yeah. don't accept an apology the at, first time. at the first time. No, that's true. Uh, that's, sorry. I'm like, mm-hmm. No, you're not. Let's hear that like four or five more yeah. times. <laughs> although It's true. Although it's, if oh, somebody who never says sorry, then one sorry is a big one. Right. But it, who are you talking about? Nobody. <laughs> but also just saying sorry isn't enough. I mean, what no. are you really Well, you have sorry? to demonstrate that you you're to, sorry. We well, you yes. also have to say like what you're sorry about. That's right. I mean, I'm not saying to squeeze it out of somebody, but they really, it, you know, the difference between sure. a genuine sorry and something that Absolutely. just is lip service. Right. Someone who's just apologizing because they're just so tired of fighting and they'd like to move on. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? No one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, uh, that's so interesting. Um, and I think that's probably applicable to children too, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think yeah, you have think to. So. But, we're, but most of the time, we're very positive towards our children and not as positive towards our spouses. Right. Yeah, that's true. We, we, you know, because we know the psychology of positive thinking with your children and you want to increase their self-esteem and want them to feel good about themselves. How do you do that again? Well, we give them very, <laughs> we give them positive feedback all the time. You know, our kids, you know, we value what they do. They you know, your little kids, when they do something special, you probably go, like, you go crazy. Cheerleader, yeah. Right, a cheerleader. Yeah. How do you criticize, uh, or you're saying we give positive feedback to our children. criticism. I'm using that as an example. Right. There's a lot of ways you can be negative without criticizing. You can be dismissive. You can be, look, you know, make faces when they're talking. The eye roll is a big one. The eyeball, right. There's a lot of ways you can really treat them like you don't care. Mm -hmm. And I just love that research because... When I share it with with clients, it rings. It really yeah. rings true. Well, it's interesting. It's 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 obvious in many ways, but when you put it in that simple context, it's like it makes me right. automatically think. Like I'm already thinking about how I'm going to go home and like engage in things, and my eyes are pretty rolly. But you know, right. I know if I'm doing it, then I got to figure out my four right. uh, my four makeup. I mean, just something like touching your partner. Sure. Like sometimes it's very reassuring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Loves to, you know to be touched. He mm-hmm. loves the physical yeah. contact, and I'm not that touchy feely person. See, that's his love language. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I have I have to remember right. to do that to my husband because I'm not a touchy feely person necessarily. That's interesting. And I, he loves it when I put his, my arm around him or something. like And that. you guys have Aww. been together for this long, <laughs> and you have different language. And I'm not tying it all back to this, but yeah. to your point, like it's just. You have to think about it. You have. To, I have to think about it. Right. I have to remember what he what he likes. I think that's that's an interesting. I haven't read the book, but the concept yeah. is obviously yeah you know, valid. It's yes. just being it's being thoughtful about what it is that they want or need from you and delivering it in a way that is meaningful to mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Oh my god, so many more I questions. But we're like we're sorry, out of time. We cut, we were like bouncing all around because it's just like it's such a meaty. It's such a great. There's topic. so much more to topic. It. Um, but we'll maybe and come so back. Can we come back? Of course, <laughs> for part two. <laughs> I'd love to do it. We'll try to narrow the focus. We will. Yeah, we that's will. To just. I love that infidelity. Uh, yeah, you guys are. Fun to talk to. Thanks. Oh, thank so thank you. you. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to come back real soon. And yeah. Thank you okay. so much for your time. Perfect. 
thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at hdwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.